Happy Friday, everyone, and welcome to HR Work Break. I'm your host, Maddie Collins, editor of HR Daily Advisor. HR Work Break takes a quick but close look at everything human resources. For any HR professional, it's a must listen. I hope you learn something new, take some advice to heart, or simply stay abreast today's trending topics. Now, it's time for a work break. Happy Friday and welcome to HR Work Break. Today, I'm joined by Lena McDermott, co-founder, COO, and chief culture officer at Moment. Moment seeks to create modern lending solutions for businesses by creating low-friction, affordable financing to their customers at the moment of need. Lena, thank you so much for joining me today and welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much for having me, Maddie. I appreciate it. I'm very excited. Yeah, I'm really excited for our conversation today. So I read recently that the American Psychological Association found that 19% of workers say that their workplace culture is somewhat or very toxic, which brings me to my first question for you. What is toxic behavior carryover or TBC? So toxic behavior carryover, if you Google it now, it'll show up. But what it really is, and we call it TBC because that's a lot of words, it refers to it's an unconscious adoption of behavioral patterns, sometimes harmful, or behavioral traits that we may have developed, each of us, all of us may have developed due to a defense mechanism we may have created from prior experiences at workplace or trauma at other relationships. So we feel like we need to create a protective layer to help us with some of the toxic behavior that we may have incurred at prior place. So These patterns, like I said, often defense mechanisms that are developed to kind of safeguard against perceived or actual threats. So we mistake these behaviors as normal or healthy for ourselves, but individuals unknowingly, they're bringing those kind of toxic behavior carryover traits to the workplace. And some of that can look like passive aggressiveness, excessive competition, gatekeeping. So these are the traits that are showing and the behavior is bad activity. And then they're carrying it over, meaning I developed the wound here. I'm carrying the defense mechanism of that wound into my next workplace. And it's preventing me from being as successful as I really want to be because I think that I'm in danger. Yeah. On an individual level, do you have any advice or best practice, I guess, for identifying those kinds of behaviors in yourself, whether understanding where they came from or how you can improve on it in the future? Yeah, so absolutely. The generation or the creation of like the terminology of toxic behavior carryover really came through behaviors in my own self. And when I would have these conversations with my peers or my friends, it would be like, I often tell people I am a recovering perfectionist. Mm-hmm. And so what that really meant is perfectionism used to be really awarded and rewarded in my early careers. You would hustle for your value. Perfectionism was all you could try to seek and achieve. And so what I recognized that I was letting perfectionism become the enemy of good. And so I was never satisfied. And so the first thing you almost have to do is do a self-evaluation first to kind of see like, what am I carrying around that I think is a necessary defense to protect me? And then you start having those open conversations. But honestly, the easiest way to kind of see it or locate it in others or yourself is to believe that they probably exist already. And it's often going to be the thing that you bump into most often, the struggle, whether it's like, I'm deciding to work through my vacation because I don't want people to think I'm not valuable because I'm not there. I keep iterating on this same PowerPoint deck over and over again, because I'm afraid that if I have a mistake, that someone's going to judge me or that they're going to see me less valuable. 
I'm going to gatekeep this idea from other people in my department because if I have the information that I'm more likely to get a promotion because I must have higher value. And so it's these traits or behaviors that sometimes originate from a wound that we experience somewhere else that we have created. Did that help answer your question or should I narrow that in a bit more, Maddie? It totally made sense. And like, I totally see, like, I also was still am to a degree, like a perfectionist and it realizing that you're getting in your own way a lot of times or just realizing like those kind of behaviors aren't productive. And like you said, they're coming from a place of former hurt and they don't serve you anymore. It's hard to do and it takes a lot of growth. And when employees are are growing, whether personally or professionally, uh, that's when leadership often steps in. So what can leaders do to identify some of these toxic behaviors, especially in people who just joined the team and are carrying them over from former positions? A couple of places. You can do it from the very first interview that you have. So let's say, Maddie, you're applying for, for a job within Moment. At some point along your interview process with Moment, you are going to have culture meetings. Everyone's actually who's on an interview with you at Moment is always evaluating your culture fit. But as you get kind of closer to the end of your journey, we're going to get very clear on where have you been before? What wounds did you carry from that? What, why'd you leave it? What hurt you? What would you never like to do again? So you're having those conversations. But in order to ask that very vulnerable question to you, who's having the interview with me, I'm going to probably give you my honesty of who I am. So I'm going to lay bare for you kind of my perfectionism. I will hustle for my worth sometimes if I'm not careful. So sharing sometimes allows the other individual to sort of let down some of their armor and you start the conversation. So you can start the conversations in the interview process, but let's say you don't. Let's say you you have somebody on your team that you didn't have an opportunity to do that with. So what do I do now? So that's when your regular touch bases, if you do you know, week-to-week meetings with your direct reports or some level of cadence, there's a portion that you would carve out of every one of those leadership stand-ups or those management collaboration meetings where you're sitting aside some portion of the time to talk about the humanity and the human who's doing the work in front of you. So if you work for me, we're going to talk about your frustrations and kind of what you're doing in your work week. But part of it's also going to be like, Maddie, I noticed that you responded to an email at eight o'clock at night on a Saturday. (laughs) I want to talk about that a little bit. Now, if that's your journey and you like doing it because you like to get ahead of your week, I want to give space for that because you do what you do. Mm -hmm. But are you doing it because you're not cutting off your work hours? And then I'm now worrying about like, I don't want you worrying about moment at night on a Saturday when you should be recharging and investing in yourself. And so bringing that conversation forward in a safe space, it's not this, it's like, tell me about it, girl, I do it too. Being able to say what it is without pointing fingers or laying blame, it's almost being a sharing session and then being vulnerable in that space too. People are only as comfortable in the environments that you hold for each other. So if the environment you walk into in my office is combative, then you're not going to come into my office feeling open and ready to explore like transparency versus if I'm opening that environment for you. And then I'm also sharing with you my own concerns and issues. You may be more likely to participate in that conversation with me and feel a bit safe. And safe is the most important thing that we all want to feel in any environment they're interacting in. Yeah, like psychological safety is such an important component to the workplace. It feeds into burnout and efficiency and employee engagement and retention. And it just, it touches every single aspect of that. And even beyond that, happiness and general well-being. So if you would look at the levels of burnout, toxic behaviors in companies, and then you correlate that to 
health insurance and the number of doctor visits and PTO taking and people not feeling well at work, there's a direct correlation to burnout and toxic culture that also drives up the cost of your insurance packages that you're having to pay for as a company because people are tired and fatigued and their bodies aren't getting restored and rejuvenated in a way that they can show up meaningfully. If you want to quantify it, you can. If you want to qualify it, you can. Yeah. And Moment seems like it has a really great company culture, setting those those healthy boundaries for work-life balance. But for other companies, if they want to get a better assessment of their culture or identify toxic behaviors or values kind of permeating into their employee base, how do you recommend kind of like self-reflecting on how your company's doing? I mean, Moment does have a really great culture. It also is extreme. It's a focus. Culture is expensive. It can be very exhausting to manage. And I mean exhausting in you can't just have a set it and forget it. So there does need to be an active practice of like paying attention to it. But additionally, it really comes down to listening. Are you really listening? Are you listening to what people are saying? Or are you asking the right questions? I think surveys can go out in a company. And I know employees, even though they're anonymized and nobody knows who's submitting the answers to the surveys, I would say most people are still hesitant to be fully transparent. So the best way that you're going to get that information is through your conversations privately behind safe doors. And in order for people to share with you, you would have had to already create the space that it's safe to share. And so it really comes with how do I create an environment where people feel like they can tell me why they're unhappy? And then that's how you start. And it's so you demonstrate it. You show that. You show by being honest as a leader of when you're failing, honest as you know, we have a responsibility to the employees at the moment to be transparent and honest about what's going on in the company, whether that's good, bad, or ugly. It first starts with, will they tell me if things are bad? Do I believe that? If I believe it, then there's trust. And then there, there does need to be an intimate trust that is built between a company and its employees, and it needs to sort of start at the top. And then that needs to be created and fostered at every line of management across the company. And then that continues to get magnified in the teams that those managers report. And then we are extremely, extremely specific when people are not serving the culture or it's becoming toxic. We have those conversations and we try to work through it. But if we can't, then we release those individuals to be successful in other places because the culture for us is one of the most critical pieces that we create and build at moment in addition to our technology and our product and the servicing that we do with our partners. Right. And specifically with bringing on new team members, in the interview process and in the application process, how do you demonstrate your company culture to an applicant? Because Glassdoor found that 77% of employees would consider a company's culture before seeking a job there. So one, how do you demonstrate your culture to job seekers? And then when you enter the interview process, how do you determine that they're a good fit for your culture? So culture after 2020, or especially because of 2020 post-COVID, culture became a larger present for all job seekers right now, as it should be. It should be table stakes. It is for me. It is, I'm an employee also, even though I founded a company, I've been an employee longer than I've been a founder. And so I carry with that a lot of the prior life. And so that should always be something everyone should consider before anything they go into. So that's my first thing as an employee and an employer and a person looking, you should read about their glass door. You should reach out to people on LinkedIn that already work for the company and ask them what they love about it. Do an inbox, inbox me, ask me. Second, if you're in the interview process, that should be a conversation that you're having with whomever you're interviewing at every stage of that conversation from the recruiter to the first person, to the hiring manager, to whomever you get to talk to. 
the culture should be coming through in the conversation of how they're caring for you and the questions and the space that they're giving you to answer your questions that are being asked and the listening. Active listening, compassionate listening are part of the way that you engage individuals. You can tell when somebody's listening to you, making eye contact with you, saying your name, remembering key points that you made earlier in the conversation that are funny. We want to get to know you as a human. We want to know, do you like cats or dogs or both or all? Do you like to travel? What hobbies do you like? What's your favorite book that you just read? And all that stuff. So it's the getting to know you in addition to your resume, because the resume is so flat and one dimensional. I'm going to assume that you're good at your job. I'm going to assume that this resume is true. Let's start with trust first. I'm assuming you're good. Now I want to meet you. And that's how you're having the conversations along the way. And you're going to meet four or five people on the journey of interviewing at moment. You're going to meet our recruiters who are fantastic, phenomenal. They understand it. They've got the culture bug. They're not letting anybody in past them that don't meet it. And the meeting is, did I like him? Did I like her? Are they great? Did they have a genuine enthusiasm? Where's their kindness coming from? What inspires them? What podcasts do they listen to? Like that tells you about people, right? Yeah. And then you keep having conversations down that journey and you will get a sense of our people through the way that we speak to you, treat you and set expectations for next steps. And then do we say what we do and do what we say? Yeah. And ultimately like hiring someone isn't putting a body in the seat. They're an asset for your company and you need to treat them as such critical. They are human beings doing human things that are phenomenal and fantastic and interesting. And it's irrelevant what my role is in the company to who you are. We are two people trying to decide if this is a good match. Like you have just as much weight on the other side of the interview as I do. You should also like me too, or like us too, or believe that this is a place that I feel like I can be seen and valued and heard. Definitely. And you mentioned really briefly that at the start of 2020, that's when this big, almost societal shift to prioritizing culture for job seekers came into place. With that time period, of course, came remote work and everyone working in their own homes uh, were slowly starting to work hybrid again. So in a corporate environment where you aren't always physically in the same space as your coworkers, how can managers identify problems when they arise? So we've always been a remote first company since our inception. So we started really in 2019 and then fully remote, obviously in 2020. And I would say a, a significant percentage of our workforce are remote or they aren't in our home office. And so we've never fortunately had to kind of make that large shift from in office always to remote. So that's a benefit that we, we absolutely, um, you know, we're privileged to have and, what we also have to remember is sometimes it gets lonely being home and disconnected from your team and having that human to human kind of interaction. And so the way that we sometimes, some of the ways that we feel like we can combat it is in just general interactions, just like this, how can I be silly with you? How can I talk with you? How can I make the standups or the business meetings a bit more fun? There's a bit more play. There's a bit more silliness. And maybe you can even carve out time to just say like, hey, 30 minutes on Thursdays, I don't want to have any meeting. I want to just have social. I just want to hear about you. I just want to connect. I just want to talk. I just want to have that interaction. 
We also, on top of that, once a quarter, we fly in the team members to come to our headquarters and have their like quarterly operations meeting or quarterly sales meeting. And so we do get to really community and connect in person. So that's always going to be part of the prescription of culture is you could do it completely remote, but don't minimize the value of human interaction and being in person because it does exchange better. So being able to figure out how do we do that, you know, we do that quarterly and then we do it at the end of the year as a celebration of the year. Even doing that four times a year for all of our companies seems to be really healthy. And then being able to win hybrid kind of just make the meanings more meaningful, leaving space for silliness and fun and true connection versus it's not always business or it always have to be. Yeah. And that approach, like, like you had said earlier, it's, it's a top-down thing. Like if the CEO embraces that mentality for discussions to the company, it's going to trickle all the way down to your entry-level employees. Absolutely. And, and it's okay to have friends that you work with. And in fact, I find in the environments that I've worked in that have been most successful or the teams that have the best longevity and success rate, when I normally unpack that more, I find there's a really true friendship connection that kind of really reinforces that community. And so I think personally speaking at the moment, a lot of us in the leadership role, we're all actually friends too. We will do dinners. We do dinners with the teams just to kind of continue to make, you know, the connection. We'll do an executive retreat once a year where we kind of go away and sort of come together and build a partnership on what are we seeing? What are we doing? And I find those to be extremely meaningful for the continued development of our connections at work. And we're able to be sometimes an example, a witness, and we find it to be very successful. The closer that we all are with each other as friends and leaders and aligned with our missions, the better that the rest of the organization seems to support it and and mirror it as well. Yeah, there's nothing better than being on the same page in like the workspace and also the social space with your coworkers because it just, it smooths things out. It's a balance. Yeah. And so we've talked about toxic behavior carryover, but are there any other buzzwords in the company culture space that you have your, your eye on? The conversations I always seem to gravitate to that I'm starting to see more or it's making me happier to see people more comfortable being very vulnerable in the words. They're not getting so bureaucratically washed is I'm hearing more about transparency and I'm also hearing playfulness and kindness start coming forward more. And what I'm seeing a little bit of a recession on is that dogmatic approach to productivity. And I'm only as valuable as my metric. That's true too. We absolutely have to have goals and metrics and KPIs and items that we can measure and shoot for. But in between those conversations, I'm hearing instead equity and inclusion, as well as play and transparency and kindness. And so I'm encouraged that I'm seeing representation where leaders are being able to speak a bit more from a human-centered part of their job. And that is extremely, extremely enthusiastic for me because the closer we can get to valuing the human parts allows us to do the work that we all are you know, doing. And it's, it's exciting. Yeah. Like you said, when we were talking about perfectionism earlier, like pouring over how perfect your company is, is only going to stop it from reaching its full potential. Because at the end of the day, we're humans, we're people, we're not machines, and you've got to learn and live and grow with everything. And I say a thing all the time, too, when I'm even doing the interviews with people, but when I'm having conversations just like this with you, I'm like, I'm going to tell you what the mess is so that you can say yes to it. Yes to the mess, meaning don't hide it. Don't put it under a rug. 
you don't have to say everything because, you know, some things we don't want to always share until we can really deliver the information, but it's okay to trip and fail. Like you can fail forward. You can fail down, just fail and learn so that the wound doesn't become not the lesson you can learn from it. Then it's just like, darn it. I just have that pain and I didn't learn anything through it. It's okay to make mistakes. It's super good because mistakes happen if you're trying. And if you're trying and you're failing, at least you know that didn't work. Let's come up with a different solution. And then don't take yourself so seriously. Like, it's okay. Let's goof around. Let's be a little silly. Let's be a bit playful. Let's be within the bounds of respect, obviously. And then being able to just kind of give yourself some slack. If you cut yourself some slack, then maybe you witness to another person that they can do the same. Yeah. And that goes back to the trust and transparency kind of underlying this entire conversation. Like if you're in a culture where you can trust that your boss won't see you as quote unquote less valuable when you make a mistake, that boss is going to lift you up and you'll learn through it instead of just feeling that hurt, like you said. I can still say, hey, Maddie, that was a mistake. We really took a left here. We should have, this should have been sort of the path, but it's a chance to grow here and we can acknowledge we took a left instead of a right and we'll jot that down and then we'll make a path that we're going to correct on it. It doesn't have to be combative. It can be educational and supportive. Exactly. My favorite way to close out is to ask what you're looking forward to this weekend. I have been overbooking my schedule for quite a while now. (laughs) That is a part of one of my toxic behaviors is I want to say yes to everything, especially when I'm excited about Mm -hmm. it. But this is my first weekend where I don't have a large calendar booked. And all I'm planning to do is sit outside and kind of experience just having nothing to do and probably cooking a little bit. Um, My husband and I like to grill out and watch some football and walk around and enjoy nature. So I'm literally looking forward to nothing and everything at the exact same time. So. That sounds nice, especially with like college football starting up again. Between that and like a nice barbecue, you're in for like an eventful but also relaxing weekend. No pressure. It's a no pressure weekend and we give ourselves so much pressure that every once in a while, I just want to have nothing to do. Yeah, no, I feel that. I did that last Saturday and then Sunday I overbooked myself a little bit, but it felt very fulfilling after a day just to kind of catch up with myself. Recharged. It's great. So that's it. Yeah. But Lena, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been a lovely conversation. Same. I loved it. I love any of the conversations around this. It's such an important part for me to get to talk about it. So I'm glad that there's a space that I can share. So thank you for creating it. Yeah. And thank you for sharing in the first place too. (laughs) Absolutely. Wonderful. Again, I'm Maddie Collins and thank you for listening. Join us next Friday or whenever you need a work break.